The following episode includes violent content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Down Home Fear, exploring true crimes and strange happenings of the American South. Baton Rouge, the second largest city in Louisiana. Built on the bank of the murky Mississippi River, it's one of the oldest cities in the United States. The landscape is marshy and humid, the summers are suffocating and stormy. Throughout the late 1990s and early 2000s, multiple active serial killers roamed the streets of Baton Rouge. Today we'll talk about one of them, Derek Todd Lee, and his seven known victims. I'm H.H. Keegan. This is Down Home Fear. Born on November 5, 1968, into a lower-middle-class black family who lived in the greater Baton Rouge area, Derek Todd Lee experienced turmoil at an early age. His father, who was said to be mentally ill and violent, abandoned the family shortly after Derek was born. However, Lee would ultimately be brought up by a caring and responsible stepfather, who placed value on education and religion. But even with the well-intentioned efforts of his stepfather, Lee suffered from an intellectual disability that made it difficult for him to succeed in school. Years later, under the scrutiny of forensic psychologists, his IQ would be estimated to be around 65. For reference, the upper cutoff for mental retardation is generally considered to be an IQ of 70. As a child, Lee expressed some mild interest in music and the arts, but by age 11, he had begun occupying his time torturing stray animals and peering through the windows of girls who lived in his neighborhood. By his late teens, Lee's criminal activity had progressed to burglary, assault, and continued voyeurism. He was repeatedly caught by police in relation to these crimes, but avoided doing serious jail time or being placed in a juvenile detention facility. At age 20, Lee married a woman named Jacqueline Denise Sims. The couple had two children, a boy and a girl. 
but don't think that this was Lee's attempt to settle down. He was still peering through people's windows and burglarizing private property. In 1993, he and an accomplice even broke into the home of a 73-year-old man and beat and robbed him, landing Lee in prison for a year. By day, Lee was a construction worker who provided for his young family, for the most part. But after hours, a much darker side of his personality emerged. He would spend his time in seedy bars attempting to seduce women. Despite his extensive criminal record and the extreme cruelty that he would soon reveal himself to be capable of, Derek Todd Lee did not look particularly dangerous. He was 5'10", had average facial features. He didn't sport any visible tattoos or piercings or scars. If you passed by him on the street, you most likely wouldn't even think twice. Despite his best efforts, Lee was generally unsuccessful at picking up women. An FBI agent would later speculate that Lee had a tendency to quickly make women uncomfortable due to his poor social skills. Of course, all of this bad behavior foreshadowed something much more terrible. The local law enforcement in the Baton Rouge area seemed to have considered Derek to have been little more than a nuisance, a relatively harmless voyeur who suffered from a mental disability. What they didn't realize at the time, and perhaps they should have, was that Derek Todd Lee was beginning to actively stalk women. Carefully determining which times of day they tended to be home, when their neighbors were gone, when they were most unsuspecting. Although it wouldn't be connected to him until years later, Lee's first known murder happened on April 18, 1998. The victim was 28-year-old Randy May Brewer, a resident of Zachary, Louisiana, which is a small town just outside Baton Rouge. Randy was a 5'2", 120-pound white woman, her son reported her missing around 7 o'clock p.m. after returning home and finding signs of a violent struggle, including blood stains that suggested Randy had been dragged across the floor. Investigators found both of her contact lenses side by side on the carpet, indicating that she had been struck in the back of the head with such force that her contacts literally were knocked out of her eyes. Her remains have never been found, but DNA collected from the scene of the crime would later match that of Derek Todd Lee. 
A couple more years pass, and then on September 24, 2001, Gina Wilson-Green, a 40-year-old resident of Baton Rouge, was found raped and strangled in her own home. Then, just a few months later, a woman named Gerilyn DeSoto, a 21-year-old Louisiana State University student, was found beaten and stabbed to death in her home. This time, however, there were no signs of sexual assault. Later the next year, on May 31st, 2002, Charlotte Marie Pace was found in a pool of blood in her Baton Rouge apartment. She had been stabbed 81 times and raped. Confusingly, there were no signs of forced entry. Investigators also noted that she was living in the same neighborhood where Gina Wilson-Green had been killed the year before. And she also happened to be an LSU student, just like Geraldine DeSoto. Despite the similarities between these murders, police had difficulty developing a profile for the killer. The investigation was plagued by faulty eyewitness accounts and bad assumptions made by the police. Because of this, the working theory was that the killer was a single white male who drove a white pickup truck, a description that didn't fit Derek Todd Lee at all. On July 9, 2002, about 70 miles west of Baton Rouge, Lee struck again. This time, he set his sights on a young, mixed-race woman named Diane Alexander. He knocked on her door in the early evening, saying that he was lost and asking if he could borrow her phone. Believing that she was providing a simple act of kindness, Diane allowed Derek into her home, and once he saw that she was alone, he suddenly attempted to overpower her by strangling her with the cord of her telephone. Diane was badly beaten and sexually assaulted, but by chance her teenage son arrived home midway through the attack and Lee ran off. Diane survived this brutal attack and was fortunately able to provide police with the most accurate description of the attacker that they had to date. Sketch artists developed a haunting image of the man Diane Alexander described. A dark-skinned, round-faced man with a buzz cut and small, sunken eyes. But by the time police had developed this profile, Derek Todd Lee was already back in Baton Rouge, This time, he targeted a 44-year-old white woman named Pam Kinnamore. On July 12, 2002, just three days after he attempted to kill Diane Alexander. On the evening of July 12, Kinnamore was taking a bath before her husband got home from work. Unfortunately, she had accidentally left the keys to the house dangling from the lock on the front door, allowing Derek Todd Lee to silently enter her home and creep into her bathroom. When her husband eventually got back, he found a large blood stain on the bedroom rug. After a four-day search, her body was discovered about 60 miles south 
beneath the Whiskey Bay Bridge, which is an area known for being extremely desolate and dark at night. Once her body was recovered, it was determined that Pam Kinnamore had been raped and stabbed to death. Lee's DNA was recovered from some of these victims' bodies, but unfortunately, his own DNA was not on record anywhere, so the information, for the time being, was useless. Still, by this time, word had spread that an unknown serial killer was on the loose. People were on guard, and the streets were empty at night. Lee remains dormant for a brief period of time until November 21, 2002, when a 23-year-old black woman named Tanisha Denae Collum was killed in Grand Coteau, which is about 70 miles west of Baton Rouge. She had gone to a local cemetery around dusk so that she could visit her mother's grave and never returned home. Three days later, she was found dead in a nearby forest, beaten and raped. The final victim was a 26-year-old doctoral student at LSU. Her name was Carrie Yoder. She was abducted from her Baton Rouge apartment on March 3, 2003, sometime between 6 p.m. and 12 a.m. She had been beaten, raped, and strangled. Her body was also found in Whiskey Bay, near the same location where Pam Kinnamore's body had been discovered. By late 2002, Diane Alexander's eyewitness evidence and state-of-the-art DNA analysis technology finally created an accurate profile of Derek Todd Lee. Lee, along with many other convicted felons in the Baton Rouge area, was required to submit a DNA sample so that law enforcement could compare it to the examples found at the crime scenes. After submitting his DNA sample, Derek Todd Lee attempted to flee to Atlanta, Georgia, but he was quickly apprehended on May 27, 2003, on charges of first-degree murder. For good measure, once back in Baton Rouge, Diane Alexander, the lone survivor, was called in to pick him out of a police lineup. She said later in court that she would never forget his face. Derek Todd Lee has been confirmed to be behind the murders of seven women. Diane Alexander is the only woman known to have survived his vicious attacks. Despite his mental disability, he was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by lethal injection on October 14, 2004. He spent the rest of his years on death row until dying of heart disease at age 47. On January 21, 2016, Derek Todd Lee was pronounced dead at Lane Regional Medical Center in Zachary, Louisiana, the same town where he'd committed his first known murder in 1998. 
Lee remained tight-lipped throughout his trial and after his conviction, so frustratingly little is known about him beyond the basic facts. While his victims were primarily young white women, he was known to occasionally target minorities and older females too. Likewise, while sexual violence was often a component of his attacks, it was not always present, such as in the case of Geraldine DeSoto. Homicide detectives have described his crimes as highly intelligent, saying that he would often do extensive surveillance on his victims before attacking them. Lee has been given various nicknames over the years, including the Ghost of Baton Rouge. An urban legend even emerged that claimed that he would use a tape recorder of a crying baby to convince women to let him into their homes late at night, though there's no evidence of this ever actually happening. Unsurprisingly, the Baton Rouge Police Department was heavily criticized for its handling of this case. People were upset by the amount of time that it had taken for Derek Todd Lee to be apprehended, especially considering his extensive criminal record that included things such as stalking and trespassing and violent offenses such as the assault that he was convicted of in the early 90s. The Baton Rouge Police Department insisted that the case had been complicated by faulty eyewitness testimony, and at one point they even tried to suggest that the FBI had given them incorrect information indicating that Derek Todd Lee was white. And, of course, the FBI denies this. They said that while they did assist with creating a profile for the killer, they never made any statements about the killer's race. Regardless of whether the Baton Rouge Police Department mishandled their investigation, Derek Todd Lee's case terrifies me. His crimes were so brutal and merciless. He took advantage of people's goodwill in one of the most disturbing ways imaginable. Strangely, little has been written or filmed about him, perhaps because he chose to remain so silent while on death row. The case also brings an ethical question to mind. Should mentally handicapped individuals who are convicted of heinous crimes be sentenced to death? Are they mentally competent to be executed, if such a thing even exists? I also wanted to discuss one of the other psychological elements of this story. If you're a longtime aficionado of true crime, you may have noticed that animal abuse is actually commonly seen in young individuals who go on to become serial killers. We saw it today with Derek Todd Lee torturing cats and dogs in his neighborhood as a kid. But similar stories also surround Jeffrey Dahmer, 
Ted Bundy, Henry Lee Lucas, Richard Ramirez, and many others. It's considered to be a documented phenomenon in serial killers, and an attempt to concretely explain it is found in the McDonald Triad, also known as the Psychopathy Triad. A psychological tool that considers three traits, cruelty to animals, pyromania, and bedwetting. And it says that if two or more of these traits are observed in a child, they will have a significantly higher chance of engaging in violent behavior as an adult. The McDonald Triad was developed in the 1960s, and it is frequently criticized these days, but it's worth bringing up as it remains an influential element in forensic and psychological circles. I'd recommend reading into it if you're curious about more of the precursors that go into extreme violent behavior. So should Derek Todd Lee have been executed? Will it ever be possible to accurately identify fledgling serial killers at a young age? Could Lee have been stopped before he ever harmed another person? Let me know your thoughts. Join us on Facebook. The group is simply titled Down Home Fear Podcast. If you type that into the Facebook search bar, it'll come up and you can request to join the group. If you don't want to do that, you can also send an email to downhomefear at gmail.com or tweet at me at downhomefear. Be sure to check out downhomefear.com for merch, bonus content, and more. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's a case that I had been wanting to cover for a very long time, so I'm glad that I was finally able to put it together. This was episode 18 of Down Home Fear. My name is H.H. Keegan. As always, thank you so much for listening. Down Home Fear is an independently produced podcast. To support the show, visit www.downhomefear.com.